Welcome to Teacher Formation, where we unpack and apply current research to teaching from a Catholic perspective. I'm Erin Wibben. And I'm Monica Kowalski. We believe that teacher formation is an ongoing process that includes learning from current research on best practices in schools. In each episode, we unpack a work of current scholarship applied to teaching. And today's episode is special because we're actually in person together. Yes, we're here at a summer at the University of Notre Dame. So it's fun to be with our uh, beginning teachers and colleagues. Um, the, the article that we are discussing in this episode is timely. It's called The First Days of School in the Classrooms of Two More Effective and Four Less Effective Primary Grade Teachers. It's an article by Catherine Bone, Alicia Rorig, and Michael Presley. And I liked this article so much because it built on previous research on what we know about more successful classrooms and teachers. And it also worked to help us as teacher educators and even teachers know that what happens in those first days of school um, can make a difference and specifically what kinds of differences or things we can and should do to improve things like achievement, classroom atmosphere, and student independence and self-regulation. Yeah, so the article's a few years old now. It was published in 2004, actually, in the Elementary School Journal. And we'll link to the article in the show notes if anyone wants to read along with us. But we'll provide a little bit of a summary of it, and then we'll move into our questions and our takeaways from this article. So to summarize the article, the researchers in this study did some pretty extensive qualitative research, including uh, several classroom observations and interviews, in the classrooms of six teachers. And they did this really at a very critical time, the first three days of the school year. Then they did additional follow-up observations at a few time points later in the year. And what they found was that there were some significant differences between the teachers that they classified as being more effective and those that they classified as being less effective. These classifications were based largely on a tool that they called the Classroom AIMS, A-I-M-S tool, which stands for Atmosphere, Instruction, Management, and Student Outcomes. So across those four categories, they had uh, 161 indicators that they were then rating each teacher on. For each observation, they were rating uh, across all these indicators to get these average scores for each of those AIMS categories. And then they calculated kind of an overall score of teacher effectiveness based on that. So they were able to draw differences then between those who scored higher and lower on that, on that uh, instrument to classify them as more or less effective. Right, and some of the findings uh, that they found for the more effective classrooms uh, are really not very surprising. But what was important and what the researchers were looking for was whether or not these factors did begin to occur in the first days of school and how teachers set up their classroom environment and community. So uh, previous research had seen many indicators mid-year or end of year. So these researchers were looking to see whether or not certain indicators were present from day one. Um, and some of the things that they found in classrooms of more effective teachers based on their um, AIMS uh, instrument are stronger routines and procedures put in place, um, more engaging activities right at the start, more enthusiastically introduced reading and writing. So that's things like authentic uh, reading and writing or reading for writing for real purposes, higher expectations, praise for specific accomplishments rather than generalized um, praise, mm -hmm. um, and encouraged self-regulation. 
So um, I think those things that I don't think would surprise any of us, but the important thing is that they're happening right from the beginning of the school year. It's not something that can only be built. Right, right, right. So as I was reading this article, um, classroom management, Monica, certainly came up again and again. Mm -hmm. It was one of the big factors in uh, how these more effective teachers and less effective teachers set up their classroom. So my question for you involves this idea that more successful or effective teachers had an engaged classroom style where teachers knew their students and praised specific accomplishments and clear effort over achievement, which I don't think is surprising to those of us that think about classroom space and student motivation. So how do you see this being congruous with what you know about academic motivation? And what do you think it says about classroom management in those first days? Yeah, Erin, well, I don't think any teacher that we know would de-emphasize the importance of classroom management. We, we certainly know that it's important, and we certainly teach that it's important to come in strong with classroom management from day one. So that was not surprising to me in that, in that case. I was definitely drawn to the language around what this means for student engagement and the, the parts about praising students, the specific praise, as you pointed out. I think that actually matches really well with what we know about um, from motivation theories about the importance of positive reinforcement and ways to foster mastery goal orientations in schools instead of performance goals. Um, it, It really does follow along with motivation very well. And I think in terms of the classroom management, the more I've been thinking about this and developing my own kind of philosophies of teaching, I think what I've been telling people a lot is that I have, um, I've kind of set up that there's two R's that are the most important things from the beginning of the year, but all through the year, and it's relationships and routines. And so I've been preaching that a lot this summer and thinking about how the structuring those relationships and routines is so important. And I think this article really highlights that it's important from day one, that uh, the the more you have these routines, the more students know what's expected and they know why it's expected and they feel comfortable doing what's expected, because of the classroom relationships that you have built in, the more successful you're going to be from day one and throughout the year that those routines can stay. It doesn't mean you can't change things, but it just starts off with with that strong foundation that I think really is the foundation, not only of classroom management, but of successful teaching and learning. Right, right. I I noticed that too. One of the uh, more effective teachers, the, the researchers in this piece said that knew her students' names from day one, right when they walked right. in the door, um, and that had those routines and procedures set up, where they should sit, what they should do right from the first days. Let's switch gears here a little bit. A question I had for you was more about literacy practices. I think this article did bring in a lot about specific literacy practices that they saw happening in these classrooms. Yes. Um, and I know that the researchers had a literacy focus, so that, that makes yep. sense mm-hmm. as to why. But I just thought there were such great descriptions of some of the literacy practices and the enthusiasm that the students were exhibiting towards literacy. They talked about students in effective teachers' classrooms who were just squealing with delight Mm -hmm. and giggling during (laughs) reading louds. They were asking for more time to read. They were choosing to read independently during their free time, bringing in books from home, just all kinds of great signs of strong literacy in those effective classrooms. But I don't think the article really spelled out in great detail some of the ways that the teachers promoted that. And I wondered if you saw any strong evidence that helps to differentiate what those teachers did, the the more effective teachers did, as opposed to the less effective teachers that really contributed to the literacy. Yeah, and I think what what these researchers saw 
uh, and what they're advocating for as they looked at the more effective literacy classrooms was what we call a, a purposeful literary or literate environment. Okay. And so that's what they built up. They, um, from day one, were reading. They probably were the kind of teachers that um, asked kids to bring their favorite book on the first day of school. They set the procedures in place, not only for classroom management and how to line up, but also how to read and when to read. So a lot of times we talk about procedures and routines for classroom, for navigating the classroom, but these teachers built in procedures and routines for a literate environment. So when you're finished with your work, what and how do you read? Um, and, and they also, I think, probably brought in texts that were um, engaging and fun and at mm -hmm. the kids' level. So right off the bat, we're thinking not just what book might we have in the classroom, but who, what children's librarians have I talked to? What kind of books can help me build classroom community? Will make the children laugh and will engage them in ways that will um, pull them into a relationship with books and with reading? I think, too, that they um, went out of their way to um, not only be more enthusiastic themselves, but um, gave kiddos authentic reasons to read and write. So rather than just only looking at standards or only tying things to what their curriculum might say, they pushed that a little bit further and said, what do real readers do in the world? Mm -hmm. And I think that, and what do real writers do in the world? And that kind of thing is motivating for kids, it's exciting for kids to come in and, and say this year in second grade or this year in kindergarten, we're gonna learn how to do some research and, and use those real words and those real reading and writing authentic experiences mm -hmm. that gets kiddos excited. Um, my other favorite thing that, that I read in this, in this piece, um, and it has to do with literacy, was they, the researchers talked about one of the most effective first grade teachers and she said that this teacher went home and she tells her students that she went home and told her, her partner last night that her husband that um, she has the best class she's ever had this year, the best group yeah. of readers she's ever had. And her husband was so excited to hear about this best group of kindergartners or first graders, the smartest group she's ever had. Mm -hmm. And so your students hearing them be praised authentically for something that that teacher values and that they themselves should value, I think goes a really long way to get kids excited and already confident on day one that they can and will be successful readers and thinkers. So yeah, that, no, that's great, Erin. That makes a lot of sense. I think one thing I'm still struggling with is sort of the tension between the firm classroom management and routines and procedures and the um, allowing a little bit of more of that fun and that you know ability to giggle and squeal and mm -hmm. and be interactive with the text that I think is I, I, I it makes sense to me but I think especially for novice teachers it's hard to bridge that gap and to think about how you can do both and I think one thing this article highlighted for me too is they talked about how teachers in the less effective classrooms they spent as much time teaching procedures but they taught them at the expense of the content and students yes. were so focused on these rigid procedures that they couldn't really enjoy or have um, or, or really uptake any of the content that they were learning. Whereas in the more effective classrooms, they taught the procedures, but in a way that allowed for them to engage. experience and engage in those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, that's the hard thing. And maybe it just comes with time and practice to develop that expertise, to teach those procedures in a way that 
affirms the importance of the procedures, but doesn't get in the way of the fun stuff. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about too, the the thing that comes in is that relationship building piece. I think you can't teach, you shouldn't be teaching procedures and routines at the expense of the relationship. And that means, that means a relationship where yes, you're certainly still the teacher and you certainly still have high expectations, but not at the expense of, even in this article said, uh, a a child's self-worth. or, or, um, a, a classroom's, you know, rigid alignment with, you know, silence at all times or when the teacher is talking. So it's that relationship building where it's a give and take, but I do agree that for novices and when in my first years of teaching that this is not something that's, that you can, um, necessarily write a management plan for because it's the relationship side of it too. So, yeah, I just think it's good to keep that in mind. It is. That it absolutely. Take time to develop this. this expertise. And I do. Mm-hmm. I think this, the many of the teachers that have been teaching here, when we looked at the demographics of the teachers themselves, have been teaching for many, many years. So, some of these practices, some of the most effective teachers, have been teaching at least seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So, it, this is something that I think comes, but when we have a vision for best practice, I think we know what we can aim for, too. Great. All right. Um, Moving on a little bit, so I, I'm still curious about this piece on self-regulation Yes, um, because I saw that again and again, and um, I find it so valuable and important for learners to be successful um, starting in the primary grades, Yeah, but then all throughout. So were you surprised that the authors um, identified self-regulation or that it was present with such young learners or in your own research and thinking? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was really surprised by it. I think that self-regulation, I, I appreciate that it was one of the key attributes of a, of a successful classroom because I do think that developing self-regulation in students is really a goal of all teachers, um, but particularly in those young primary grades where you want to help students start to have a little bit more autonomy and be able to, to engage in activities on their own. So it, it made me think about how, um, how I, I have seen this. Certainly when I walk into classrooms or in substitute teaching, right. the best classrooms to be in are those where the students are really running the show. Mm-hmm. So part of this is routines and procedures, but it's also self-regulation. It's the students knowing that they can independently go through their morning routine by themselves and they have jobs or roles that they do. They know exactly what's expected. The teacher's really just kind of obsolete, standing back and watching the students right. go about their daily routine. Right. Um, and I think that the class can just run like clockwork even when there's a sub in there. And you just can tell that students are taking that responsibility. They're capable of working independently. Um, I think that's really important. And when I also think about the young grades and the type of self-regulation that's needed, a lot of times it's really just building their stamina for working independently, teaching them, yeah, teaching Mm -hmm. them strategies for how to work independently and what to do when you run into a problem or how to get help when you need it or how to persist through a challenge when you're working on your own. So, and certainly I think there's self-regulation in terms of Uh, emotional regulation and coping strategies for other things. So I think it's super important to teach that. And I love that this article shows that there are ways to teach it from the very first day of school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it starts, it it didn't really spell out all the specifics, but I do think it starts with building those expectations around what students are expected to do on their own and starting to develop those procedures for what you do 
when you're in those right. situations. And what I appreciated too is knowing that these researchers are educational psychologists, which is a little different than just teacher educators. Um, and you and I come from different, our, our own backgrounds uh, come from each of those places. So right. you more in psychology and me more in teacher development and teacher education. Um, but what I do appreciate is the developmental nature of this. Right. I think sometimes as a teacher educator, I forget to bring in the developmental psychology. And Young, especially our youngest learners, but really all learners across the board need to learn how to, and we need to, we need to have as teachers developmentally appropriate uh, procedures and systems in place to help mm -hmm. kiddos be successful and to learn these things because they're not just going to come to us as kindergartners, first graders, second graders with all of the um, necessary tools because right. they're little still, right? Their right. brains are still developing. And we have to make space in our procedures and routines and days to teach that, right? And right. to structure and to scaffold the developmental um, development of them, not just the academic development of them. And I think that that is a, is a really necessary and important thing for us as teachers to um, bring into conversation with our academic routines and right. procedures as well. So. Well, and it's taking it a step further in not only recognizing that developmental need, but helping students to learn to regulate it themselves. Yes. So as teachers or as teacher educators, we talk a lot about incorporating, for example, brain breaks into right. your teaching. You can't lecture at a student for 10 minutes if they're only six years old. You have right. to stop and give some brain breaks. But what we don't talk about is how to help students learn to take, take their, their own, own brain breaks, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. How do you, when you're, when you're not focusing, how do you get back on focus and how do you recognize in yourself Oh, my mind's kind of wandering. I better refocus. Right. Those are the kind of self-regulation skills that we don't think about. We, we know them as adults, but we need to help form those in our littlest mm -hmm. students. Uh, and there are, you know, effective ways to do that when right. you, when you I mean, to Right. It. And as a teacher educator, I would say, remember to model Absolutely. and use self-talk, not only in the academic moments, but I wonder if these more effective teachers were also modeling not what to do, but right. how to do it. Exactly. So saying things like, oh, I, I see that I'm finished with my work here. I, I know that my two choices are either to, you know, write quietly in my journal or to pick up my best fit book. Right. right? So the teacher isn't just telling them what to do. She's also modeling that self-talk for the procedures and routines, not just for academics. Exactly. So important. Yep. All right. I have one final question okay. for you. I think I know how you're going to answer it, but, <laughs> um, but I just wanted to make the point. These authors cited a lot of research and they, they themselves did this study on the importance of the beginning of the school year for establishing the norms and the expectations in the classroom. And I totally agree that the beginning of the school year is super, super important. But my question is, does that mean that all hope is lost if a teacher, like especially if a novice teacher doesn't have the strongest start and doesn't start out with these great procedures, are they done? No, of course not, right? Okay. No, there's a new, every week is a new beginning. Really, every day is a new beginning. I think identifying what went wrong and talking it through oftentimes with a mentor. Don't be an island, you know, novice teachers. It feels lonely because you're in that classroom by yourself, but you're not an island. Don't let yourself be an island. Reach out to your mentors, to your, your partner teachers, to your supervisor, to a professor you had in teacher education or in your own formation. Um, because there are things we can, we can take away from this article and things we can put in place any time of year. And when I work with my teachers, we talk about hard restarts, things like holiday breaks or long weekends, but you don't even have to wait for one of those. You right. absolutely can come in and say, 
or, and, and help yourself identify what went wrong and how can I build routines and procedures and start to build those relationships that are going to make my classroom space more comfortable for all of us. So how about you? Would you say Great. the same? Absolutely. Yes. 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 Thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's move into our key takeaways. So Monica, did you have a key takeaway as a researcher here? Oh gosh. Yeah. I think I had a lot of them. Okay. I, I enjoyed <laughs> this as, as a piece of research immensely. Um, so I think one thing I was thinking about was that uh, it was interesting to me how this research was really building on work that was done long ago. So yes. this was almost a replication study where they were saying that there's been a lot of findings on effective teaching that are, were done decades ago based on you know, observations that were done decades ago. But now we have had some recent advances in methodology and in ways that we analyze classroom observations. So now this warrants some additional research so that we can either support or not support the conclusions of what was done prior. And to me, that was kind of a good reminder that we're always getting better at research and we can benefit from new ways to study old ideas uh, like, this, like this study did. Also, I loved this from the perspective of studying the very first days of school yes. mm -hmm. because we know that it's important, but we right. don't know a lot about what happens in those first days because I've tried this before and it's actually really hard to negotiate access into schools yep. for the first day. Teachers don't want They're strangers nervous. in their classroom no. on the first yeah. day. Because that could everybody's be, nervous, right? Yeah. And that could you could see that could damage some of what they're trying to set up if there's somebody else in the classroom <laughs> while they're trying to build these right. relationships. So it's hard to study this authentically. This study did a nice job. They had some video, video, video. Mm -hmm. but still, I think some students may come in and be uncomfortable with video happening um, on their first day of school. So I, I am still puzzling over how I might structure doing some first day of school observations in an unobtrusive way, but right? I thought it was a, a great thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I um, keep thinking about the amount of time actually spent in these classrooms and in these schools as observers. And a fun fact is I actually collected data for this study. I was a trained data collector. Um, and the team of researchers here did a lot of work on best practice. Okay. And so that was what they were really trying to get at. They, they had come at thinking about literacy practices specifically and what best practice literacy classrooms look like. Um, and, and we got pretty good at knowing and understanding with expert teachers what that looked like by the end of the year or middle of the year but we were genuinely genuinely curious like the article says about those first few days mm -hmm. um, and what I like is also that this article it, we we came at this from such a um, a diverse set of tools right and right. so it was qualitative but we had we did some quantitative analysis with the aims right and so it you as a researcher we had data that we could compare across classrooms we worked with fidelity and validity of our instrument all of that was done before this so um, we had multiple people going into classrooms and in the same classroom in order to get a diversity of yes. observers experiences and so it was a really interesting and fun project to be a part of um, and and that it helped us to think about some things beyond achievement yes. data. Um, and as educational researchers, those folks were definitely focused on things beyond just um, achievement, but how these things might lead to achievement as right. well. So I thought that was, it was an interesting. Right, and I liked that they, they used the aims as yes. their outcome measures. Right. So they were looking at effective teaching from that observational tool of what effective teaching is, not what's the outcome of student achievement. So I agree with you, I liked that. How about, um, what's your takeaway as a teacher? I think my takeaway as a teacher is um, really this authenticity. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and I think that word goes in a lot of ways. So authenticity of who we are, of, of relationships, 
and of activities um, and space. So I, I, I think I am most successful when, and I, I tell my teachers the same thing, when I let my students know who I am and I am genuinely curious about who they are and I meet my teachers or my students where they are, not where I think they should be or where I was yes. or where I'm assuming they are. I'm really trying to build an authentic relationship with them. And I think that builds toward authentic practice in classrooms. We read because we're curious. We yeah. write because we have something to say. So I think that just authenticity, authenticity in general is something that as a teacher, I hope we can establish and grow to become brave enough to, um, and I, I think it takes time, brave enough to, to establish with our, with our students. Great. Yeah, I can totally see that from this, that authenticity is a, is a great message. For me, I think there's so many takeaways for this mm -hmm. as a teacher because there are so many practical ideas in here and examples. I'm thinking just about how exciting the beginning of the year is for teachers and how it's just such a great opportunity to build on those two R's, those routines yes. and relationships. Absolutely. Just <laughs> right from day one, the importance of being really explicit about teaching what that means in your classroom um, and setting that, setting that tone for just a great year of successful teaching and learning. And I just think it's a, a, this article is a great reminder of all those things. Did you have any takeaways from the lens of Catholic education? I think for me, and this probably doesn't come as a surprise from what we've been talking about all along, but it is that community building that I think, um, just the Catholic nature of schools. What does Catholic mean? It means we're coming together and people are coming together. And um, what are we moving toward. And I think just as I talked about authenticity in relationships and academic work, I think authenticity of prayer, I think is really valuable too. Let's try and make that um, not only contrived or wrote, but let's pray for authentic reasons too, and invite our students to do the same thing. So how about you? Ooh, that's a nice idea. Well, yeah, you definitely stole my idea there with the community. I think that's really what was the biggest Catholic connection to me is I think it's something that Catholic schools do incredibly well on Agreed. the whole is to develop strong classroom community, a strong sense of community in the school and in the, mm -hmm. the classroom. And so to me, that's, that's where I kept going back to what this means for Catholic education is just to continue that focus on building that community uh, and having our faith be at the heart of that community as well. Right. Good. Great. Well, I think that's all for today. So thanks for listening and we will catch you next time. Thanks. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.